My name is Xenophon Papadimitris, and I'm a professor in biomedical informatics and data science at Yale. Our guest today is Ella Dwolesh, who is the CEO and founder of AIDoc, and he'll tell us more about the company in a minute. Ella, welcome. Tell us a little bit about you first and how you got here. How did you end up with AIDoc, and how did you get involved in this field? Well, first of all, thank you for uh, having me. And uh, I will say my, my story is uh, an interesting one. I, I don't come from healthcare originally. I've come from the AI space. I've headed the AI for the Israeli Air Force, uh, which was uh, which was a great experience. And I think that is where the first time I've learned that really there is so much more to building an AI application than the AI itself, I think. And I think it's a recurring theme in a lot of the ADOC story. But what I did upon finishing the service is really spending a lot of time in hospitals. Again, knew nothing about healthcare. And I think it really became evident that labor is the automatic solution that health systems do. Uh, I've recently read that about 29% of all new positions across the US uh, in the last 15 years or so have been in healthcare. Right, so I think our tendency in healthcare is to throw more people at the problem, but as we know, uh, we're out of people at this point, <laughs> and uh, therefore technology has to be done. Um, the question we had when we started ADOC about six years ago was, well, if it's so obvious, and we all know that there is such a labor shortage, why the hell hasn't it been implemented, right? Like you go to most hospitals, they don't have AI. Even today, 700 FDA cleared AI devices um, and most hospitals don't have a single one. And our thesis was that it was not related to the AI itself. It was related to the delivery mechanism. It was related to the fact that you had a lot of AI point solutions, uh, but not really holistic platforms, right? You had amazing, like you had, lung cancer AI or stroke AI, right? And each of them in of itself is extremely valuable, right? It's enough to find one patient to make a big difference. But for a health system that has their IT constraints and already a thousand software systems, like you cannot be implementing a thousand tools. So the story of ADOC really is a story of how to find a scalable way for a health system to adopt AI, how to build a platform approach for health systems to grow to dozens and hundreds of AI use cases through one holistic layer. Okay, so let's walk how you guys did it. I mean, you're now a fairly big player in this market and I know the systems are at Yale. Yale was one of your test sites years ago. So let's walk us a little bit through the- One of the first uh, installations in the US. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Yeah. So let's walk through how, you know, the first product happened. What were the steps that you went from zero to one in some ways, right? How do you get from your first product to the first hospital? What were the challenges as you did that? What did you learn in that process too? So I will say in that early phase, so the strategy was always, we want to build a comprehensive AI layer for the health system, but obviously we cannot start there, right? It's like boiling the ocean. So our first step was, look, we will, before building a platform, let us offer a comprehensive suite of our own. So the first thing we did in ADOC was to build, let's call it an AI factory. So the ability to build a lot of AI algorithms quickly. Uh, and now let's go to the first implementations. Imagine we have two, three algorithms 
already baked. One can identify brain bleeds, one can identify pulmonary embolism, one can identify spine fractures. Um, and we want to do the first installations. And I will say that is kind of where we, we really learned um, that having an algorithm at hand is not having a solution at hand. Uh, and there is such a wide gap between the two. And what I mean by that is that the way we frame it, so step one is building the algorithm. So an AI that can look at a, look at a piece of data and identify something. Stage two is develop a product out of it. And a product requires the workflow integration. So how do we actually make it flow um, within, within the clinician workflow, right? And we, we looked at most AI products back at, at back at the time, they had very, let's call it naive workflows. So for those that probably you all know, but for radiology, the, there is the PAC system, right? Basically the imaging archive and viewer. Mm -hmm. So most AI tools took, took images, crunched them together, and then put an image back into PACs. You had no enhanced interfaces and the physician would have to typically ask to consume the information. So they would have to trigger the AI, say, hey, AI run on this exam, and then also open the image and pack. So both to run the AI and consume it, it was very manual things. And one of the things that everybody told us when we started is no clicks, right? That was the vision, no clicks. Um, and the question is, how do we get to, to, to zero clicks? Um, so what other companies typically did was develop their own interface, right? But again, that is even more clicks, right? So it's even worse to some extent. What we chose to do is, is took an approach which is called context aware. So basically it means it's, it is our own interface. It's a separate ADOC software, but it is directly integrated in how the user reacts. So you open a case, it knows you open a case. You open a work list, it knows you open a work list and can populate the relevant information. The easy way to think about it, think about like a Dropbox icon, right? You have that small Dropbox icon hovering around. That was kind of the user experience that we were hoping for. So that was very important for us to do, even for the first deployment, because again, just an algorithm and the same old workflow we, we felt would have no adoption. And indeed, we saw that once we implemented in this context aware, adoption skyrocketed from you know, 20, 30% to 95%, which as you can imagine is a, quite the big difference. Um, the other big element on building the product was that we naively thought that immediately, that I would say that the data is clean enough. So it would be easy to say, I have a brain lead algorithm. Let's run on all head CTs, okay? We thought it's gonna be simple. Everybody knows what's a head CT, right? The health system knows what's a head CT. We just configure that, it would run, everything is perfect. Well, what we've learned is that the health system doesn't know that the head CT is a head CT and it's actually not written in the metadata, which is, Part of the reason those are familiar with hanging protocols that many hanging protocols don't work, the metadata is broken. It's not a problem of the hanging protocol, it's a problem of the metadata. Mm -hmm. So we actually had to build components to normalize the data, right? We had to, we actually have another AI, which is crazy, another AI that identifies and fixes metadata issues in order for us to run the AI that identifies things on the images. So those are some of the elements, and there are many more that we had to build in order to not just have an algorithm on the shelf, but actually have something that can run in a clinical environment.
so for a student here, so take a typical image analysis student. So they go to a conference and they see a paper that says, here's my deep neural network. It takes CTs with microbleeds and it outputs a diagnosis, right? And that is yeah. what nine, that's what all the research that gets done at, at, at that level. What fraction of the product is that? 5%, 10%? I would say probably 10%, yeah. So most of the work is actually not there, right? Is that fair? Look, the way, and, you know, I can't disclose that it's a pub public, uh, I can't disclose the full information, but I will say that over more than half of my budget, like the R&D budget that ADOC has, and right, with company that's raised hundreds of millions of dollars, um, more than half of R&D budget is on the infrastructure and the platform, more than half. Um, and hopefully that gives you a sense of how difficult and complex it is. I'll give you a very practical example. Um, I won't name the company, but there was a, a hospital in Europe that wanted to compare our brain bleed algorithm to, to another company. And basically us, they ran through the ADOC platform, theirs they ran through another platform. And what they found is that the algorithm performance, our algorithm had about 90% sensitivity specificity uh, and theirs had 60%. And 60%, like, I mean, it's such a big difference. I will tell you, I haven't, I haven't looked, it's hard to know what causes, but I don't think it's the algorithm's fault. I think the algorithm was fine. I think the problem was that the data, you know, garbage in, garbage out, and, you know, if you're not sending the right data, then you can have significant degradation of performance. So it can be this start from a great algorithm to something that is literally, you know, unuseful. Yeah, no, that's, you know, we were talking before we started that people think about AI as the core thing. I think of it as the engine in a car, but really users drive cars, right? And so it's the whole platform that matters, not that. So as you got started here, you walk into hospital number one. <laughs> Right, and this is where you are now trying to get your first adoption. What are the challenges as you start? Did they want AI? Were you trying to convince them that they wanted AI? What did they actually want? Because nobody wants AI, right? They want their life to be easier in some ways. I will say, actually, you hit the nail on the head on one of the one of my biggest pet peeves with the industry. The fact so a lot of health systems invite me, for example, to speak with their executive teams how they build their AI strategy. I would argue there should be no thing such as an AI strategy. Yeah. AI is not a strategy. Like, do you have your software strategy? Is that a thing? Like, I mean, it's it's weird. It's a piece of technology that varies so much. And in my mind, we need to think about what is the value and outcomes we're trying to deliver, right? And AI is just an enabler to that. And look, I obviously, I do think there are unique elements to AI about governance and, and strategy. Don't get me wrong. But in my mind, it's really about, about that. One of the challenges we find is that the, when we, especially when we did our first sales, but even today, is that AI is so transformational that it can help solve gaps that the health system didn't even know existed before they had the ability of the tool. So the tool, the tool can oftentimes uncover gaps that have not been there before. You know, let's let's take an example. Even within Yale, I think there was a 
great research uh, by, you know, uh, your aorta department for aortic aneurysms. And what was found is that I believe it was 24% of aortic aneurysms with, uh, that are greater than four centimeters, so very meaningful, and everybody agrees should be followed up, are actually, even though found, are never followed up. Which is, again, one of the, I think those that are outside of healthcare, I think are always like, how is that possible? If you wanna follow up, why aren't you? But that's a complexity of change management and workflow, right? That's a complexity of, of we have with healthcare. But you couldn't even know that without having an AI that can screen your case and say, oh, I found all these aortic aneurysms, like what do I do with them, right? So it's sometimes you actually have to measure the potential impact. So a lot of the, the issue with AI, and I would say that's the move from what I would call a product to a solution, is identifying and quantifying the value. It's not enough to build a great, great piece of tech. It's not even enough to have a great workflow and for people to use it. You have to actually show what is the impact and solve an existential issue for a health system. And if you look at health systems today, budget are slammed, right? Uh, operating margin are a bit better than they were, but we're still talking about like 1%, okay? So that is a typical, that is a typical, uh, you know, operating margin for our health systems. That is crazy, right? 1%. That means that every single piece of investment has to be scrutinized and thoroughly, thoroughly thought through. And therefore the impact is just as important and, and having a piece, a, a great piece of software. And the interesting thing that we've learned over time is that you have to look at this from very, two different lenses. You have to look at it from a physician lens, which is, why would they use it? They want to make their life easier. They want to become more efficient. They want to become more confident. Like you want to solve the physician problems, but monetary value also has to be given to the health system, right? So you have to show, am I increasing revenue? Am I reducing cost? Am I improving efficiency in a meaningful way? So you almost have to have both of these perspective in mind as you really develop an AI solution. Mm -hmm. Which probably means that demonstrating accuracy is like step zero, but not on it. Like it's necessary, but nowhere near sufficient, right? That I'm going to be controversial. Begin. I'm yeah. going to be controversial. I hate demonstrating accuracy. I hate it. Not because, not because it's not important. I agree with you. It's, it's necessary. I mean, I, don't, don't get me wrong. It's necessary, but it's not the right question to ask. If I have an algorithm that is only 50% sensitive, but I, each of those alerts is something that would have been missed otherwise, as an example. W would you find this still useful? Hell yeah, right? So I think we have to, in my mind, the equation should be centered around value and not just about accuracy. And yes, accuracy is important. It's table stakes. It's, and a lot of AI fails there. I, I hear, yes, 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 and yes, but we have to remember that that is really step zero. And if we want to make a meaningful change and truly transform healthcare, we talk about that. We have to keep, value and outcomes as the first priority for us to measure. I guess the other question I have for you is, as hospitals start adopting these types of technologies, I'm sure they're realizing how much more careful they need to be about how they do their side of the story, right? right? Small changes in resolution or in labeling are okay if everybody's just manual, but when we're trying to build an automated process, of course, those things are complete. How much 
is adopting AI almost changing how they do things as opposed to like forcing them to think about their end of the story a little bit more. I mean, I, I heard you say you're writing an AI system just to fix the yeah. issue there. No, you're, you're right. And I will say the most complex element of it all is the is is the people element and the change management element of it all. And I think when, I will say, when ADOC started, a lot of our products have been solely to the radiology department. So they were triage tools. So the way to imagine this would be you have a work list and then AI would flag a patient number 100 in the list may have a brain bleed or may have a stroke or may have a pulmonary embolism. Let's take a look at that patient right now. But over time, a lot of these workflows evolved to cross-service line workflows. So now you want to maybe escalate it to a specialty team. So for pulmonary embolism, maybe it's a high-risk patient. You want to escalate it to interventionalist, or maybe there is an incidental finding and you want to put the patient on a, on a care on, in, towards a care navigator. And now it becomes way more complex. In my mind, that is both the promise, but also the challenge with a lot of AI once you start breaking down the silos. That I think is the biggest change. And I think organizations like Yale, by the way, who's been, I think, front and center as part of this AI transformation or evolution is really thinking through these enterprise-wide roles of how you implement these cross-service line workflows. And I cannot emphasize that point enough because we think that we'll just, when people talk about workflow integration, they think about the IT workflow integration, right? What systems they integrate to. But in my mind, the clinical workflow integration, who does what based on what information, who is getting which alert and when, and how do you change that over time is guideline change. That, in my mind, is the more complex conversation. And it, I think health systems are barely scratching their surface. I think they're starting to think about an AI strategy or a governing committee that can help implement those workflows. But in my mind, Three years from now, I think it will be a full-time role of people that help implement AI-driven workflows really enterprise-wide and helping navigate all these changes. Mm -hmm. I will have to see, but in my mind, that I see that behavior more and more. And the, the questions really become around those aspects of collaboration, governance, uh, and the like. So... But let's talk a little bit about the technology because AI is cool, right? We, we it's obviously now enable us to do things. That, I'm told, yes. You know, I've been in image analysis for about 30 years and I tell you nothing is cited from before 2015 because it's been a step change in our ability to do things, right? 2015 yeah. is, in image analysis, 2015 is year zero. Like yeah. nothing happened before that. And as somebody <laughs> has lots of papers from before 2015, well that's, an, that's annoying. So what is the technology that's coming down the road? I mean, I hear things, and I'm sure you guys are involved, foundation models, multi-model AI. What is the technology that's coming down the line that you see that will have big impacts and maybe what is not going to have big impacts potentially? Yeah, so first of all, yes, it is important to say, who knows? And I want to caveat this at one, one minute's opinion. So take this with a big, big grain of salt. Um, in my mind, if I look at, let, let's like, you know, um, November 30th, 22, right? ChatGPT came into the world and obviously massive, a massive change. And I think when we talk about Gen AI, we basically talk about two different technologies to some extent, obviously interrelated. One of them is the foundation model. And for those that don't know, foundation model means basically this 
singular model that can answer a lot of different questions. That is opposite of the way we developed and still developing a lot of AI, I'll call it precision AI, when you're developing it around answering a very specific question, right? So when we develop AI or when the FDA clears AI, is there a brain bleed? Yes, no. Foundation model can answer practically any questions compared to the, you know, the, um, compared to the uh, precision AI. When the other element, which I think to me is slightly less exciting, but obviously very important, is the generative component. So now it can write reports, it can do chat, it can it can do a lot of those softer elements that I think are very important. In my mind, the foundational part is the big game changer as we think about healthcare, because a lot of the workflows don't have a generation part, but the fact you can answer practically any question is 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 game changing. Um, so obviously I think the big promise of foundation model is democratizing the ability to develop AI. Imagine, so look, when we use OpenAI, each and every one of us is an NLP engineer, better than any NLP engineer that existed, you know, three years ago, right? Um, it takes a, a bit of prompting. That I think is going to be the same with imaging AI soon enough. And we can talk about timing. I don't think it's around the corner. I think it's gonna be a while. I think we're long, long way from diagnostic accuracy, but putting that aside, imagine everybody in the world can now be a computer vision engineer for, for medical data. The amount of workflows you could build on that capability is immense. I think that will change how a health system runs, right? And if I look at the barriers for AI implementation, there are practically two maybe three. The first of all is knowing what to develop, right? So the, pro the product is really key, the clinical, the clinical and scientific information. The second barrier is the platform and workflow, which we talked about, right? So you need something to normalize the data, monitor, do the workflow integration, but we start seeing solutions, right? Such as ADOX, I think, to solve the platform problem. Now, the third piece, the development of AI. Still today, developing AI is extremely expensive millions of dollars, right? I'm talking, you know, let's say two, $3 million easy. Um, with foundation models, it can cost, I don't know, thousands, many ten, maybe tens of thousands to develop AI. So I think that will be a, a democratizer of information. We will start seeing health systems start developing their own AI-enabled workflows at scale, at mass. So I am very, very excited about potential for foundation model to really change and allow health systems to develop because now they will have access to ways to reduce all the three big barriers. Uh, it's exciting, but I, I think it is going to be a while before we, we get to that world. As we look into all that, do you think our regulatory agencies are even ready for this type of, you know, general product that does it, right? So the old style AI, you know, pick your favorite algorithm, favorite problem, you develop an algorithm, you validate it on the specific data set, that's very comforting for them, right? That's how they've been doing things for the last, when you're telling about an algorithm like ChatGPT or its analogs in imaging, all of a sudden that algorithm is a lot more complicated to think about regulating. Do you think that those people are even ready for that? Like, what do you feel the challenges are going to be there? First of all, I want to say FDA has been amazing in trying to react and capture the future. Are they ready today? No. And I think they, by the way, recognize that fact. And 
we're not even close. And, you know, there are even questions about, is, is it okay for a health system to develop their own workflows? Yes, no, is it regulated back then? What types are gonna be regulated? Are you gonna be regulating a foundation model or workflows built upon a foundation model? Um, it's not just the FDA, by the way, right? There is regulation right now with ONC and, and government. Like, I mean, there are a lot, there are gonna be a lot of regulatory changes. Are we ready? Hell no. <laughs> I would say we're very far away from being ready, but to be to be fair, the tech isn't there yet as well. So I think we're gonna be seeing a very rapid evolution as we've been seeing over the past uh, six or 12 months. Um, and the, the answer is, I don't know how it's, how, I don't know how it's gonna evolve, um, but I believe meaningful change will have to come because our frameworks today are, it, it's not a tweak on the existing framework to be able to handle this. It's, it's a whole new mental model. So 20 years from now, if everything works out or five years from now or whatever period of time, what do you think is the biggest change going to be from all this AI, of the impact of all this technology in a modern hospital? Like, is going to be a little different, significantly different? What, and maybe even what's one area where you feel it's going to be dramatically different? Yes. Well, look, I mean, first of all, I think that we're going to be, I think it's very hard to imagine because I think we haven't even seen mm-hmm. um, everything this technology can do. But let me let me say it this way. I think the first the first problem we have again in healthcare is that we're throwing more more people at a problem, and I, I think right now healthcare. I I will honestly say I think we're at the precipice of either a disaster or a very rapid. Um, adoption of technology because I think healthcare needs to um, go through the SaaS revolution like many other verticals and improve their productivity significantly. If you look at the numbers, again, healthcare is probably again one of the few verticals that have lost productivity in recent years, and therefore it has to be a material change. It's not a small change. I think we'll have to see how we can do more with roughly the existing labor we have. And with, again, with the aging population and the reducing in, in clinician. So I think it's gonna be very meaningful. And I think health systems are gonna be run on an AI intelligence operating system that is gonna help them implement work with at scale. I think that's gonna be like the basic premise of a health system operates is gonna have this massive AI engine, again, my in my humble opinion. The second thing I think we'll see is, is a shift in the physician specialty because what AI will enable us to do is is really diagnose data in in much more rapid pace and and very high quality. So I think the role of the clinician is going to meaningfully change, um, and their interaction with AI is going to be their core day to day. There, I don't imagine a radiologist like measuring stuff on an image twenty years from now. Like that's that's not a thing in my opinion. We're going to be it's going to be much more of an automated process, and and the physician as a mega aggregator of, of clinical signals coming from these different like AI or new types of sensors. So I think it will be probably one of the most transformative pieces of technology. I think it will change the day-to-day of what a clinician does and how they like measure, document, diagnose everything. And it will change the the fabric of how how health system operates and like the business of healthcare is going to be run by these intelligent workflow 
uh, designs. And maybe I'll, I'll say one more point on that. We have a problem in healthcare of, of adherence to our own workflows. Like we define a guidelines and we just don't follow it. Uh, one of the great examples I've seen for that, so uh, University Hospital of Cleveland, they, they've decided on a new workflow for pulmonary embolism called PERT, peer response sim, basically escalating high-risk pulmonary embolism patients for specialists for potential intervention. I'm not here to argue yes or no PERT. They've defined their own workflow and they found out that 75% of patients that meet their criteria do not get escalated to this workflow. 75%. The health system made a decision on their workflow, 75% linkage rate. That is crazy. Right, I'm running a business. There, there is no world where I define a workflow and then 70% of the time they just don't do the workflow. Like it's not a thing. But in healthcare, we came to accept that as fact, right? Like 40% leakage rate on follow-up recommendations based on imaging. 40%. They tell you you have something, 40% chance nobody's gonna do any any follow-up on that. So for me, again, this intelligence layer is gonna help us with adherence. We will be able to make decisions on the workflow we wanna have and AI will help us run the, the health system in a more intelligent way. Again, I don't think because, I don't think it's because we have, people are not caring. We have incredibly passionate people. It's not because they're not smart. We have incredibly intelligent people in healthcare. It's just because of the complexity and the silos and AI is uniquely suited to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. So if you're a student now, you're finishing university, you want to get into this business, what would you study? Like, what's your advice to somebody who's trying to start? Well, it's a good question. First of all, obviously, computer science background is helpful, right? Understanding the technology. And, but in my mind, I will say the biggest area where we're missing talent right now is in translation, is how do we take this piece of technology and measure, we talked about the impact, the outcomes, and make it into a world. So honestly, things like even healthcare economics or understanding like strategy, in my mind, that's one of the biggest areas that I think we have we have a lack of talent. And again, depending on where you want to get involved in, in this world, um, that's one of the areas I think we'll see more change. Um, we Today we have tax administrators, right? We have, <laughs> I think we will have some sort of which is going to be semi-clinical, but like some sort of AI transformation world, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I like we've gone for about half an hour. I don't want to keep you here much longer. Is there anything else we didn't talk about that you think is important to mention at this point? Like we've talked about all kinds of issues, but was there anything else that you wanted to bring up? I will say what's confusing about AI right now is that a, there is so much hype in hyperbole and people are talking about grandiose changes and they don't understand. But on the flip side, I do believe it's the most transformative piece of technology. So the real question, and I think where we need to add, I think I'm excited about this certification and others is to add intelligence and education to the conversation. We need to be able to delineate you know, the, the hype and the real um, and how do we actually make a change? Because there is a danger here, right? If we make the wrong decisions now, I think we can again, lose the trust of the healthcare industry. We can go to a, an AI winter. It, it, it can happen. I know it's hard to fathom because like everybody's so hyped up right now, but one, two, three failures. And I think it's going to come crashing. So 
I am really excited about this, like honest, real, substance-driven conversation. True education, in my mind, is gonna be is gonna be very, very important as the space evolves. Okay. Thank you for taking the time. It's great to talk to you. Thank you.